0: Accidents are an unavoidable fact of life, or are they? In this podcast, we discuss current events through one personal injury lawyer's perspective. In each episode, we'll focus on one event and attempt to answer the oftentimes not-so-simple question, who's to blame? I'm your host, Jonathan Ratchick. This podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Kramer, Levy & Ratchick, PLLC, and is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you think you might have a lawsuit, you should contact an attorney. 2019 is turning into a deadly year for cyclists throughout New York City. After years of declining crashes and fatalities, there has been a spike in the number of bicyclists killed by motor vehicles. As of October of this year, there have been 21 deaths involving cyclists, almost twice as many as took place in all of last year. Not a month goes by when there is not a new report of a fatal crash between a motor vehicle and a cyclist, including a 74-year-old cyclist struck by a UPS driver in April, a 29-year-old cyclist struck and killed by a cement truck driver in July, or a 14-year-old boy killed by a private sanitation truck just a few weeks ago. With so much bloodshed in the streets of New York, which the mayor has called an epidemic, there have been calls on both sides of the aisle for something to be done. Whether it's imposing stricter penalties against motorists who kill pedestrians and cyclists, increasing the number of protected bike lanes in the city, to requiring cyclists to wear helmets and be licensed. I'm certainly in no position to answer these policy questions which are being fought over in City Hall and community boards across the city. I am, however, in a position to answer a question which oftentimes gets lost in this debate, which is, who's to blame? Who's legally at fault for this surge in the number of bicycle-related crashes? The most obvious answer is that liability lies with the driver of the vehicle involved in the crash. It goes without saying that the driver of a motor vehicle has a legal duty to follow the rules of the road. That includes keeping a reasonably vigilant lookout for bicyclists, uh, sounding the vehicle's horn when a reasonably prudent person would do so in order to warn a bicyclist of danger, and operating the vehicle with reasonable care to avoid colliding with anyone on the road. It may come as a shock to many motorists in New York City that they are required to share the road with bicyclists. In other words, bicyclists have just as much a right to be on the roadway as a motor vehicle, and motorists are supposed to exercise due care to avoid colliding with them and sounding the horn when necessary. In so many of the crashes reported this year, it's abundantly clear that many, if not most, of them occur because the driver just didn't see the bicyclist or if they did see them, didn't think that they had to share the road with them. This is a sad byproduct of the car culture that has ruled New York City for decades. Until recently, New York City has been hostile to bicyclists, with the result being that motorists just aren't looking out for them the way they should be and feel that they have no right being on the road. This feeling is at odds with the law in New York City, which again gives bicyclists as much of a right as motorists to be on the road, with there being some exceptions such as bridges and highways. This isn't to say that bicyclists have no responsibility whatsoever. Just as a driver has a legal duty to keep a reasonably vigilant lookout for bicyclists, bicyclists are required to keep a reasonably vigilant lookout for vehicles. They're also required to follow the rules of the road, uh, to use reasonable care for their safety, and to avoid placing themselves in a dangerous position. Now the one rule that bicyclists have, which motorists do not have, is to drive in a usable bicycle lane. So if there is a usable bicycle lane, a bicyclist has to drive in it. If there's no usable bicycle lane, a bicyclist has to drive near the right-hand curb or edge of the roadway or upon a usable right-hand shoulder, not the sidewalk. Bicyclists are never allowed to be ridden on the sidewalk. Now, as anyone who's ridden a bicycle in New York City can tell you, bicycle lanes are oftentimes unusable. All too often, bicycle lanes are just a handy place for trucks and taxis to double park, or if you're a member of New York's Finest, for members of the NYPD to just plain park. Sorry, but I've I've biked back from the courthouse on Center Street countless times, and the bicycle lane right in front of the courthouse is always chock-block full of police cars. Just a little bit frustrating because it forces you to ride in traffic, which is almost always less safe, increases your risk of injury. But I digress. Basically, if you're on a bike, you have to follow the rules of the road, and where possible, drive in a bike lane, unless you can't. Oddly enough, there's no requirement that bicyclists be required to wear a helmet when driving in New York City. Uh, Proponents of a mandatory helmet law say it will save lives. Opponents, on the other hand, say it will discourage bicycle use and that when there are less bicyclists on the street, motorists become less accustomed to driving around them, thereby leading to an increase in the number of bicyclist crashes, thereby leading to an increase in the number of bicycle crashes and injuries. Again, I leave that debate to the politicians. From a legal standpoint, wearing a helmet has nothing to do with fault or liability. If I'm riding on a bicycle without a helmet and you blow through a red light and hit me or open the door into my path, the fact that I'm not wearing a helmet does nothing to relieve you of responsibility for the happening of the crash. You owe the same duty of care to bicyclists wearing helmets to bicyclists not wearing them. Just like not wearing a seatbelt, however... Failure to wear a helmet can affect the damages a bicyclist can recover in a lawsuit, known in legal speak as mitigation of damages. So to raise a valid mitigation defense, there has to be some causal connection between the failure to wear a helmet and the resulting injuries, a connection which has to be proven with competent medical evidence. So for example, if I'm riding a bicycle and get hit by a car and break my leg, that I might not have been wearing a helmet would make no difference whatsoever. Obviously, helmets cannot prevent leg injuries. On the other hand, if I'm hit by a car and crack my skull open, then an argument can be made that wearing a helmet would have prevented or perhaps lessened my injury. But again, only if the party raising the defense proves it with competent medical evidence. It's not enough to just point out that the bicyclist was not wearing a helmet. What does all this mean for crashes between motor vehicles and bicyclists? It means that when you look past the sensational headlines, these cases are, are not always black and white, and they're not black and white because oftentimes we're not given enough information about a crash to properly apportion fault between the parties involved. You know, we don't know whether the driver saw the bicyclist before the crash, whether he saw him and just ignored him or sounded his horn before the collision occurred, and likewise, many times we don't know whether there was a usable bike lane for the bicyclist or whether the bicyclist placed himself in a dangerous position. And to say that one side is always right and the other side is always wrong is inconsistent with our civil justice system and the law. Now, what about the city of New York's responsibility in all of this? Does it bear any responsibility for the sudden increase in crashes and fatalities? And I bring this up because in the last five years, and as part of its Vision Zero initiative, the city has greatly expanded the network of bike lanes throughout the city to keep up with greater and greater cycling than ever before. Part of this is due to more bike lanes. Sort of sort of if you build it they will come mentality. It's also due to the launch of city bike several years ago. In any event, according to the DOT between 2012 and 2017, the number of daily bike rides in New York City more than doubled. With today more than half a million trips are being made every single day. And I think on one day this past summer, there were a record number of city bike users with riders logging more than 90,000 rides. And with more and more people riding bikes in New York City every day, you're statistically more likely to have collisions between motorists and cyclists. Again, I leave it to the politicians and advocacy groups to determine how best to balance the growing infrastructure needs of cyclists with the needs of motorists and pedestrians, all of whom are fighting over the same piece of the proverbial urban pie. The question for this podcast is whether the city bears any legal responsibility for this increase in the number of cyclist fatalities, and the answer is sometimes, but usually not. I say usually not because in most of the tragedies involving cyclists, the cause is not so much the poor design of the roadway, but the actions of the parties themselves, such as not keeping a proper lookout, failing to exercise reasonable care to avoiding both the cyclists, etc., which contributes to the, or which causes the collision. And in my own research, I haven't come across any cases where an injured cyclist allege that the city was negligent in either not installing a bike lane on the roadway or installing the wrong type of bike lane. It's not to say that there can't be this type of case, just that I haven't, I just haven't seen any yet. Don't get me wrong, increasing the number of cyclists in the city without providing the appropriate infrastructure so that they can be ridden safely is arguably irresponsible. Not piecemeal, which is the way it's been done so far, with the protected bike lane here and there, which becomes a shared bike lane after a few blocks before disappearing altogether, but a comprehensive system in place to accommodate cyclists and so that people can actually get around the city safely. And if you're going to launch a bike share program in New York, make sure that helmets are available to those who want to use them. That said, if the right case came along, the city could be held legally responsible for a crash between a cyclist and a motorist. Generally speaking, municipalities such as the city are entitled to what's called qualified immunity for their design of a public roadway or highway. And if the city is made aware that one of its roadways is dangerous, however, such as through prior crashes, it becomes responsible for undertaking a reasonable study of the condition with an eye toward alleviating the danger. Even where the municipality conducts a traffic study, it might still be held legally responsible if the study is plainly inadequate, or if there is no reasonable basis for it. So several years ago, uh, there was a case that went to New York State's highest court, the Court of Appeals up in Albany, which addressed this very issue. In that case, Torturo versus the City of New York, a 12-year-old child was crossing a four-lane roadway in the middle of the block, in the evening, when he was struck by a motorist who was traveling at least 54 miles an hour, more than 20 miles an hour over the speed limit the child's parents brought a lawsuit against, not only against the owner and driver of the vehicle, which had struck him, but against the city of New York as well. And following a trial, a jury returned a verdict in favor of the plaintiff, apportioning liability among the child, the driver, and the city, which it found to be 40% at fault for the happening of the crash, even though the driver had pleaded guilty to felony charge of reckless assault. You see, before this crash had occurred, the city had received several complaints about speeding on the roadway, including some which stated that the roadway was being used for drag racing and being treated like a racetrack. And these complaints eventually made their way to the Department of Transportation, which conducted a study of whether traffic signals needed to be installed at various intersections on the roadway. The city, however, never conducted a study of speeding along the entire stretch of the roadway, or a traffic calming study and never implemented traffic calming measures to reduce speeding. So under these circumstances, where the city was made aware through repeated complaints of ongoing speeding on a certain roadway, but neither studied uh, whether traffic calming measures or other roadway design changes were appropriate, and thus never implemented any such changes, the court found that the jury's verdict was supported by the evidence and that the crash was a foreseeable consequence of the city's Negligence in implementing or in not implementing traffic calming measures. So what does all this mean? It means that in most cases still, the city of New York is not going to bear any responsibility for the happening of a crash. And again, that's because in most cases, the design of the roadway will not have contributed to the happening of the crash, as opposed to the negligence of the motorist or the parties involved. And even when the design of the roadway may have contributed to the happening of the incident, There's usually no need to sue the city of New York unless there's not enough insurance coverage to fully compensate the injured party. It bears to keep in mind that the driving force behind all these roadway design cases is a search for what's commonly referred to as a quote-unquote deep pocket. An automobile driver might only carry liability insurance of $25,000 or $100,000, not nearly enough to compensate someone who sustained catastrophic physical injuries, or incurred substantial medical bills or lost earnings. When that's the case, the search begins for that deep pocket and exploring alternative theories of liability, such as negligent design of the roadway. That's not to say that many of the crashes which occur in the city would not have been avoided had appropriate infrastructure been in place such as a bike lane. Arguably, many of these tragedies might have been avoided had such lanes been present or designed differently. Provided the city's design was based upon an adequate study, its decision not to put in a bike lane or to design it in a particular way is not going to be subject to judicial scrutiny or second-guessing by the courts. It's only when the city has knowledge of a dangerous roadway design and either does not undertake a study of the condition or conducts a study that's plainly inadequate will the courts intervene and impose a duty of care upon the city. Sadly, Until the city provides appropriate infrastructure to accommodate the growing needs of cyclists and provide them with appropriate protection, getting around New York City on two wheels will continue to to be fraught with danger and, all too often, at your own risk. Thank you for listening to The Blame Game. This episode was brought to you by Kramer, Dunleavy, and Ratchick, PLLC. Come check us out at kdrpilawyers.com. If you enjoyed today's episode... Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you, and have a great day.